count it a great privilege to be able to speak on behalf of the Lord most weeks here at New Hope. I remember a story I told the church at Warunga when it actually happened. And I think it illustrates as I begin today's Bible study really well. I have two daughters. One's called Hannah and the other one's called Danae. They are now 13 and 17. In fact, Hannah turned 17 last week and she's beautiful. They're both beautiful girls and they've never been any trouble. I've never, we've never struggled with them through their 10 years. They've, they've just been a joy. And I remember when Hannah was four, maybe five, I can't remember. And we lived up in Carryong, which is about a half an hour from the church I was serving at at that time, Warunga. And so every day I would go down to work in my car and Hannah would come with me to three or four days a week to play group or kindergarten. And I remember this particular day we were in the car and I don't know what she had been watching on television or reading, but, you know, their little minds are open, aren't they? Really open, and they they take in everything like a sponge. And she looked at me as I'm driving down the freeway there, the F1, and she said, Dad, what is romance? (laughs) Well, (laughs) Dad's not all that romantic, is he, Liska? (laughs) What do you say? What is romance? And I thought for a minute, and I said, Hannah, romance is love. Now, she's four or five. I wish I could take her back to that time. (laughs) And she looked across at me when I told her that, and without a word of a lie, she looked at me and she said, Dad, I romance you. (laughs) It's beautiful, isn't it? And the reason I use that story as an illustration to start off this presentation today is because I think that's what God wants to do to you. He wants to romance you. The love he's got is a deep and it's a gentle love and it's a love that calls. And, 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 And my heart's desire is for the people in our world who don't know Jesus, who don't know God, to experience this romance, to, to experience this love that, that rushes into your life and, and completes you so totally, gives you peace and assurance and a hope. I can't imagine what it would be like to live without Jesus. Now I've experienced him. And today's subject, the Sabbath, the mark of the beast and Jesus, is a romance story. Do you understand that? I think sometimes we might have presented this and preached this just a little bit too harshly. Where we've been bent on identifying who the beast is and what he's going to do to you rather than telling people about the man Jesus Christ who loves you so deeply that he'll take you through the most intense time of trouble the world has ever seen. And I think people who are going to walk through this time, which we, I believe, are beginning to enter. People who are going to walk through this time are people who know what it is to be in love with Jesus. And I hope and pray that's what you leave this Bible study time. I hope that's what you leave with. Let's pray and I'm going to get straight into it. Dear Father, this is a sobering subject, but it's a beautiful one. 
be in the church. Please stay in the church. Multiply your power, I pray, as we look at this subject now. In Jesus' name, amen. I was brought up a Seventh-day Adventist. I was born a Seventh-day Adventist. On a farm as a small boy, as a baby, my dad and my mum were Seventh-day Adventists. My grandfather and his wife were Seventh-day Adventists. My great-grandfather and his wife were converted new Seventh-day Adventists. Back in the 1800s, they must have been some of the first Seventh-day Adventists in Australia. So you could say that Adventism and the Sabbath runs deep in my soul through my veins. I can, when I was preparing this sermon, I can barely remember a day, even when I wandered far from Jesus, I can barely remember a Sabbath day when I didn't recognise, didn't realise that the Sabbath was here, was now. And it always, even as I walked away from Jesus, the Sabbath, it's a strange thing to say, but the Sabbath has always kind of been a part of my experience. I remember as a kid, my mum, three, four years old, living on the dairy farm, four or five hundred acres. My mum would dress me up, little boy, I can even remember the bow tie. I would wander off, wander off. I would go in the car with mum and dad to Sabbath, school. I can remember the little church, Nara. I can remember the Sabbath school and the Sabbath school teacher, Alvina, and I think she's still there. This is 50 years ago. I think she's still there teaching the little kids today. That's a big, long haul. In fact, I'm going back to Nara in just a few weeks' time for their 50th anniversary where I'm going to preach and I'm looking forward to it. So Sabbath has been a part of my experience. I remember after church, I can remember a few times in church actually being taken out by my father and learning what discipline is all about. And we didn't have colouring books back then. We sat there for little bow ties on and we listened. Maybe that's where I learned the gospel, I don't know. I remember after church, we would go out of the church in our car, through the town, across the bridge at Narrat, which back then to me just seemed like a huge bridge. And then I went back and it's just a little bridge, but it was a big one back then. It shrunk as the years have come. And I remember we would go down the hill and it seemed like a huge cliff of a hill. I went back as only a little one, down to the riverbank and there we would eat lunch, egg and lettuce sandwiches, and I still love egg and lettuce sandwiches to this day. Liska, I love them. <laughs> Did you hear me? <laughs> I Yes, green smoothies is all I get these days. <laughs> and don't you clap back there, Glenda. I love egg and lettuce sandwiches. I was brought up on them. Every now and again, we need to go back to our roots. Uh, the point is the Sabbath has been a part of my existence. And my grandfather and my father, both as preachers, my grandfather an evangelist, had no trouble defending the Sabbath. Amen? It is easy. I mean, if you are a, pe- if you're a person of the book of the Bible, you are going to get the Sabbath. You're going to see the Sabbath. It is this huge doctrine in Scripture. If you read the Bible, you cannot avoid, you cannot ignore the Sabbath. It will come at you. It will call you. It will draw you. It is there. It is this huge doctrine. You cannot climb over it and get around it. It's there. You cannot You cannot go under it. It's It's there. The Sabbath is there. It, 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 you just... Uh, in fact, I've got to tell you that every Protestant pastor out there, every Protestant reader, studier, student of the scripture. Whether they keep the Sabbath or Sunday, they all know it's there. Did you know that? And they're all being called to it. 
Yes, they are. And when you get called to it, you make a decision on what you're going to do. But the Sabbath is there. And I know that my grandfather, Sawdust Trail Preacher, you know what they were? These are these early pioneer preachers that would go from town to town. I was very close to my grandmother. My grandfather died when I was a young man, a very young man. I think I was four or five. But my grandmother lived until 101. I buried her as an ordained pastor, so I got to know her very well. And she would talk about how they would go into a town, they'd either set a tent up, that's why they called sawdust trail pastors, because they'd put sawdust on the floor to, to keep the mud away, or they'd go into a hall and they'd go there just for 12 months. These are evangelists, these are were preachers of preachers, and they'd go into that town and they'd leave that town with a Seventh-day Adventist church planted there. And all over Australia there are Seventh-day Adventist churches in the country, in the cities, planted by men like my grandfather. And when it comes to the Sabbath, it was an easy subject to teach because it's in the Scripture. And they'd be able to teach it and they'd be able to preach it. And it was very difficult for the other church pastors of the brother-sister Protestant denominations in the town to be able to defend against it because in the Bible... The Sabbath is God's holy day. Now I'm going to do something with you very quickly now, and it's going to be quick, so you have to stay with me. I'm going to give you six Bible texts that prove the Sabbath from creation until eternity. Now I'm going to tell you something as a pastor here. Every single one of you who call yourself Seventh-day Adventists today should know at least these six Bible texts. You ready to go? Let's see how we go. Six, really quickly. Here's the Sabbath from creation right through into eternity. Not done away with at the cross. Not done away with at any time. Right the way through into eternity. Let's go. Genesis chapter 2, 1 to 3. Let's look at these quickly. If you've got your Bibles, follow in the Bibles, not on the screen. It's always more powerful when you're in your Bible or on your phone Bible. Genesis 2, 1 to 3. I remember not so long ago, a lady came up to me, one of the elder ladies at a church I was pastoring, and she said, uh, Pastor, no one's listening to your sermons. I said, oh, aren't they? No. They've all got their phones and they're playing on their phones. <laughs> I said, well, I think they're in the Bible. They might have been playing on their phones, but I told her they're in the Bible. And so whether you've got your phone or whether you've got your Bible, open up. Don't rely on my Genesis 2, 1 to 3. So this is the beginning of the world. This is creation. The world's pristine. God has just made it. It took him six literal 24-hour days to do it. Hallelujah, amen. amen. New Hope is a church that believes in the literal creation of the earth. We believe it as Jesus, as God in the Bible said it happened. We get to the end of the creation of six literal days of creation. Oh, I wish I had been there. What power as God spoke the world with all its complexities into existence. And everywhere I look in the world, I see evidence of the Creator's hand. Don't you see it? Everywhere I go, I don't get this atheist evolution thing. I don't get it. Because everywhere I go, I see evidence of a master designer who's put this world together in, in, in a fashion that boggles, that takes a mind beyond what we can understand. And so he finishes the world and he does something very special. Here we are right at the beginning. Adam and Eve, there's only two people on the planet. 
And this is what happens. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished the work of his creation, so he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day, and he declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all the work of his creation. The Sabbath is not a Jewish thing. The Sabbath is not an Anabaptist thing. It is not a Seventh-day Adventist thing. The Sabbath is a man thing made right at the beginning of mankind. There was no Jew. Abraham was not there. None of the, the priests of Israel were there. Israel did not exist as a nation. The Sabbath was not made for Israel. It was made for man at the beginning of our existence. Let's move on. 2,000 plus years. Israel, three, 400,000, maybe up to 600,000 of them. Some say 3 million. Taken by Moses and God from slavery in Egypt and they're in the desert and God calls Moses up on the mountain and he calls all the Israelites to the bottom of that mountain. This is up. This is God speaking to his people. The mountain shakes. There's a cloud around it. This is a time of power. And this is what God says. So creation, we've got the Sabbath. Now we go down a couple of thousand years. Here it is again. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male, female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth back to creation, the sea and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So you've got the Sabbath at creation. Now we've got the Sabbath at the Exodus. Let's go down to Jesus' time, maybe 4,000 years now after creation. What did Jesus do? Jesus, God incarnate, God in human form. And by the way, Jesus is God. You do know that. He is Yahweh. When Jesus came down, he was not brought forth some time back in the eons of eternity. He was never created. Jesus is God incarnate. And he comes to the earth, God. If Jesus walked into the room when I had been, and I had been there when he was on the earth, I would have fallen flat on my face in obeisance. You know what that means? In worship. Because Jesus is God. And if anybody knows what we should be doing as a people, surely it's Jesus. So what did he do on the Sabbath day? Luke chapter 4, verse 16, when Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the Scriptures. Jesus was in the synagogue on the Sabbath, worshipping. In fact, he was preaching. And you ought to hear Jesus preach. In fact, soon you will. Jesus was a Sabbath keeper. Well, what about the early Christian church? I hear this thing from some of my Protestant brothers and sisters. Oh, the Sabbath has been done away with at the cross. It's part of the old law. Well, if it had been done away with, this fourth commandment, if it had been done away with, then surely the early Christian church, the church that Jesus himself set up, surely they'd be worshipping on the Sunday and not the Sabbath. And I can take you through the book of Acts. We have four, five, at least half a dozen examples in the book of Acts of the early Christian church worshipping when? Sabbath, always Sabbath, always Sabbath. Luke, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 18 verse 4. Each Sabbath found Paul, a great apostle at the synagogue. 
He's in church trying to convince the Jews and the Greeks alike that Jesus is Lord. So you've got the Sabbath at creation, you've got the Sabbath at the Exodus, you've got the Sabbath in Jesus' day, you've got the Sabbath in the early Christian church. What about our day? Well, in Matthew 24, you've got the great prophecy of the end of time. In the end of time, there'll be time of persecution. We'll talk a little bit about that today. In that time of persecution, those who love the Lord, hard to fathom, but they're going to have to flee. And look what Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 12. In prophecy about our day, pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. So you've got the Sabbath at creation, you've got the Sabbath 2,000 years at the Exodus, later at the Exodus, you've got the Sabbath 2,000 years later in the time of Jesus, you've got the Sabbath in the early church, and now you've got the Sabbath 6,000 years into history in our day, the end of time. But I think this is a clincher. Isaiah 66, 23. This is talking about eternity. When we go to heaven, thousand years there, then we come back to earth. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I'll make, this is God speaking, which I'll make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon, that's from one month to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. You get it? Are you convinced? I'm talking to Seventh-day Adventists. Are you convinced? Well, you ought to be, because there it is. And you should know those six texts and you should be able to share them with people. But here's the deal. I've been doing this for 25 years. And I think of the Bible studies I've had and the people I've done this Bible study with. And I think of the reality and the fact that it is this Bible study, perhaps above all others, where people say, Lloyd, it's enough. I don't want to go on. We've had enough studies for the time. I remember when I lived on the Sunshine Coast, it was uh, my fourth year into ministry. I had just shifted from the Gold Coast. There was a man, a pastor, who I had, he was a few years behind me at college, but he was quite a bit older than me, and we'd got a relationship going together. We were really good mates, and it just so happened that I was ministering in Lansbury as a youth pastor for that district, and he was in Caloundry. His name was Duncan, Duncan Poultridge. And I remember getting a call from his distraught wife one day telling me that he had been in the hospital surgery and he had had a heart attack while in the surgery and he had died. And it was an awful tragedy and the first time I think as a young pastor I'd really been confronted with the death of at least one of my colleagues. And I had, he'd just finished a mission and I had to take over his Bible studies and it was a joy. There's 10 people, I think, in this Bible study, and it went from week to week, and they were on fire. <laughs> and I thought, praise the Lord, thank you for Duncan, we're going to have mighty baptisms this year. Got to the study on the Sabbath, 10 people sitting around the table. And I presented it just as I presented it to you. And then I made a call, and I said, who would like to make a decision tonight to keep the Sabbath? What do you think happened? What happened? They all came? No. How many? Have a guess. Three. Three. One. Come on, you people of little faith. 
better than that. None. I walked out of that Bible study devastated. Not only did they not come, every one of them except one lady told me that night they no longer wanted Bible studies. What is a big deal about the Sabbath that makes it such a Bible study breaker? You look at history, the Sabbath has always, even in the Church of God, even in the Reformation, come up against roadblocks that make it almost impossible to get through. And I've had more time, I could tell you, the story about Luther and how he missed the Sabbath. But his best friend, his confidant, his colleague, Karlstad, was a Sabbath keeper. Did you know that? Karlstad worked with Luther. He showed Luther the Bible text. He pled with him. He prayed with him. And Luther became more and more opposed to the Sabbath and more violently opposed to it the older he got. What is it about the Sabbath that through the centuries has brought such attack? Why today? You ask yourselves. Are you Bible students this morning, are you? Well, ask yourself... Ask yourself, why is it that every, almost every Protestant denomination forsakes the Sabbath? What's going on? Does it make sense? Well, it doesn't to me. Why does, why does Satan hate the Sabbath so much? Why is it this doctrine, this commandment, that is under attack more than any other? It's the seal of God, it's worship, I'm hearing these coming back. Let me show you something. We're going to read these texts really fast, is that okay? So get ready, because here we go. See if you can find a common thread, a common theme running through these scriptures. They're all Sabbath ones. Genesis 2.2, on the seventh day God had finished the work of creation, so he rested from his work. Exodus 18.23, he told them, this is what the Lord commanded, tomorrow will be a day of complete, talking about Sabbath, rest. But the seventh, seventh day, but the seventh, Exodus 20 verse 10, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. Leviticus 23.3, we're going through the Bible. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest. Deuteronomy 5.14, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest. Isaiah 56.6, we're moving through the scripture. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest. Do you see a theme coming through here? Ezekiel 20.12, and I gave them my Sabbath days of rest as a sign between me and them. Luke 23.56, New Testament. Then they went home and prepared spices. These are the women after Jesus' death. An ointment to anoint his body, but by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, so they rested as required by the law. So the Sabbath day is a day of what? Rest. Rest. I remember one guy who used to proudly come to me in a church long ago. He used to say, oh, the Sabbath day is a rest and how I long for it. Could you preach a little shorter because I want to eat and go home and rest? <laughs> In fact, this guy used to rest up on, he was an elder, and he used to rest up on the pulpit behind me as I'd be preaching. 
I actually went to him one day. I won't say who he is. I said to him, if you keep pre- going to sleep in my sermons behind me, I'm going to stop this week and I'm going to wake you up so you can hear the message from the Lord. You know, that sermon, he sat there with his eyes wide open and he had toothpicks in them trying to stay awake. <laughs> and too many of us think this is the rest God is talking about. Now, what I'm about to share with you is really important because I'll tell you most Seventh-day Adventists miss this. And it's one of the reasons we don't have the power in the church that we should. You know, when the mark of the beast comes, there are Sabbath keepers who are going to get it. Do you hear me? So listen to this now very carefully. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus talking to the whole world. He said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you... 